Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, particularly the seventh chapter. Matthew chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 11 here this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, how we do plead with you that you would open up our eyes as we come to this passage to see the glory of the privilege that we have in your Son, that we can approach your throne of grace even with confidence, and that we can even know that you hear us. Lord, May it be that we, with our eyes opened, would never fail to make good use of this privilege that we have. May it be, Lord, that we would be always encouraged to pray to come to you, and that you would so honor your own name in the way in which you hear the prayers of your people. For, Lord, what people is there on earth who has a God so near to it as you are near to us whenever we call upon your name? Lord, we do ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, it's quite a normal thing for children to ask their parents for things, whether it be things that they want or things that they need. If a a child has a particular need, he will very often come to his parents saying, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need this or I need that. And even beyond that, if if a child wants something, the child will come to his parents and he will ask for uh, the things that he wants. This is quite a normal thing. And in fact, it is actually the case that if a child does not feel confident to come to his parents and to ask things of them, then it is actually a reflection on the parents themselves in many ways. It is often the case that, uh, you know, in a normal situation, a child will ask parents for things. But if a child knows that if he comes to his parents that he will not have his needs met, that uh, he will not receive anything from his parents, at some point, the questions will stop coming. The questions will stop coming. It actually shows a lack of confidence in the parents. It's not natural for a child of loving parents not to bring their requests and petitions before their parents. This is a very natural thing. And the same is true, brothers and sisters, when we think about prayer. When we think about prayer, When you come to God in prayer, you are coming to your heavenly Father. It is not natural 
for children who have God as their father not to come to him in prayer. It is not natural to do that. And it even in some ways shows a lack of faith and confidence in God to provide for your needs. Part of what it means to have God as your God is that you would come to him in prayer. And this is all that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying in this passage. He is encouraging you to pray. He's encouraging you to pray. He's giving you the reasons why you are to pray. Why are you to pray? Because God hears your prayers. Just as a child comes to his parents and he knows for sure that his, that his loving uh, mom and dad hear the request that he makes and will provide for him all the things that he needs, and even out of love will give him other good things. Just as a parent knows that, so too you are to know that God loves you if you are his child and that he does in fact hear your prayers and he even, in the Lord Jesus Christ here promises, he gives good things to his children. It is not natural for a child of God not to come to God in prayer. And this, brothers and sisters, as we come to this particular passage, Matthew 7, 7 to 11, this is really the last implication that the Lord Jesus Christ is drawing out in the Sermon on the Mount of what it means to be fully devoted to God. If God is your God, then you must come to him in prayer. Now, this is the, uh, the third, I've said this is the last, it's the third major implication that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought out. Uh, if God is your God, and if you are pursuing him with everything that you have, then it does not make sense to worry. It also does not make sense to judge others. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, it also does not make sense for you not to pray. It doesn't make sense for you not to pray if God is in fact your God. Now, this is really the, the last major thing the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say before he gives a summary of the entire thing. The, the a summary of everything he's going to say comes in verse 12, which we'll look at next week, the, the famous golden rule. And this is then followed up in verses 13 to, through 27 with four concluding exhortations uh, to heed the words that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. This is really the last uh, message that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving, the last topic that he is going to discuss in the Sermon on the Mount before moving to the great conclusion of the entire sermon. And it is all about prayer. Why should you pray? Why should you pray? Because God is your father. God is your father. And all fathers, even sinful ones, give good things to their children. How much more will your father give good things to you? Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has spoken something of, of prayer earlier in this sermon. He's, he is, in chapter 6, given instructions to his people how to pray as disciples. He has taught how to pray in chapter 6. Now, in chapter 7, he is discussing why to pray. Why are you to pray? What's the reason? And the reason is because if you pray, God hears you, and he will give to you the things that you request of him. Now, we'll look at this passage under two headings. First, we have the, the general instructions concerning asking, seeking, and knocking in verses 7 and 8. And then we have uh, the reasons why you are to do this, or at least the, the, emphatic, uh, the emphatic extra reason that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. He gives an argument from the lesser to the greater in verses 9 through 11. So uh, we'll, we will look at this passage under those two headings, asking, seeking, and knocking, and then this argument from the lesser to the greater uh, in verses 9 through 11. Now, look with me again then at, chapter, at, at verse 7 in particular, where the Lord Jesus Christ gives three commands. Now notice, he is commanding you to pray here. All three of these things have to do with prayer. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. So the first one is ask. Second one, seek, and you will find. And the third one, knock, and it will be opened to you. Three commands that are all related 
to the action of prayer. And the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ gives these three commands and all of them are related to the same topic is because he wants to make it emphatic. You really must pray and you must pray zealously. You must pray such that you ask and continue to ask. Your prayer must be characterized as seeking after God, seeking after God with all of your heart. And it must include uh, knocking, that you must be persistent in your requests before God. Now, the idea of asking is simply that you would make your petitions known to God. And this is to be everything, whether it be big or small. This is, again, part of what it means to have God as your God, that you don't look for your needs to be met from anywhere else. It is only from God, whether it be the smallest thing that you have need of in this life or the greatest thing that you have need of in this life. God being your God means you must come to him to see this need met and no one else. You don't trust in anyone else to have the need met. You come to God and to God alone. Now, God may use other things to meet your need, but ultimately you recognize it is God alone in the most foundational sense, most fundamental sense. It is God who provides for all of your needs and you are to ask him. You are to ask him for all that you have. You are to seek him. Now, this this language of, of seeking if you were to ask, who are you seeking? You're seeking God. You're seeking God in your prayers. This language recalls Deuteronomy chapter 4, particularly verse 29. And in that particular context, Moses is speaking to the people of God about how they're going to be in exile. And when they're in exile, they're going to serve gods of wood and stone who really can't hear any prayer. But he says that when you are in exile, you will call to mind all of these promises that I've made and you will seek the Lord, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. The idea is, is that if you seek God zealously and truly, God guarantees here that you will find him, that he will hear your prayers. Remember the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ discusses even uh, two different ways of coming to God, uh, particularly in Luke chapter 18, where he describes the Pharisee on the one hand, who is all who's completely proud of all the things that he does. I've fasted, I fast twice a week. I'm not like these other sinners. But then there's also, in comparison with that, the tax collector who stands far off, who's not confident in anything that he's done, and yet can't even lift his eyes to heaven and yet says, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God guarantees to you, if you come to him and you seek his face, no matter what it is that you've done, he will hear your prayers. You will, he will be found by you. Or think of even the seeking of uh, the widow in the parable that comes immediately before this in Luke chapter 18, where there is the widow who, com- who uh, persistently asks an unrighteous judge for vindication. And in the, in the end, the unrighteous judge says, you know, I'm not, uh, I really care nothing about this widow, but because of her persistence, because she is seeking me so, so zealously, I'm going to give her justice uh, simply because she's asking so much. And the point is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ guarantees you here even so much more that if you seek him, if you seek him, he guarantees to you that you will in fact find him. And thirdly, knocking. The figure here is of a closed door. Uh, Very often in the Christian life, this is what we face. We face doors that are closed. Everyone faces these kinds of things. There uh, There are situations that it seems like we just can't get past. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ say? You are to knock. Why are you to knock? Because you have confidence that the door cannot be opened except God open it for you. 
You're not going to try to break the door down. You're going to knock and plead with God to open the door, even as the scriptures declare that God is the one who opens the doors that no man can shut and who shuts the doors that no man can open. He is the sovereign Lord and you are to come to him. And Christ guarantees here, if you come to him, if you come to him, the door will be opened to you. Now notice here, there are these three commands then. There's ask, seek, and knock. Notice here though, the Lord Jesus Christ here, the, the, the main point of the first two verses is to show that there is a guaranteed result if you come to God. There is a guaranteed result. If you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be opened to you. Notice this is, this is even repeated. It's emphatically said by the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives the command and then gives the reason, ask and it will be open to you. And then in verse eight, he gives a summary, a general principle that always applies. You are, to, you are to ask because God will do this for you. And then just so you know, this is what always happens. Everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened to them. Jesus Christ is emphatically saying, emphatically saying that if you come to God in prayer and your heart is true to him, that God hears all of your prayers. He hears your prayers. And not only that, he even answers prayers. Now, brothers and sisters, will it be then, if you think about uh, what you have in prayer, you know, uh, the scriptures teach in James, James chapter four, which we'll, we'll look at in a minute, uh, it, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. The reason you do not have is because you do not ask. Now, there's more that he goes on to say, but if we just stick with that first part, that you, you do not have because you do not ask. Will you continue in this life not to have because you are unwilling to come to God in prayer? Think of what it is that you have in prayer. You have the eternal, sovereign, creator of the entire universe, the almighty God, who is all-wise and all-knowing, who has declared to you that he will be gracious to you in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is merciful and who says that he will withhold no good thing from those who ask him. And you have access to this God through the blood of his Son. And even then, the Lord Jesus Christ promises that when you come to him in prayer, God hears you and will answer your prayers. Will it be that you will continue, in light of all of these advantages, not to come to the Lord in prayer? Will, will it be that you will say, I will just go on with life and continue not to have? Why would it be, why would it be if all of these things are true that you would not pray consistently and zealously to the Lord? And I ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning, does your prayer life reflect the truth of these words? If these words are true, if these words are true, is it evident in the way in which you pray? Is it, is it evident? Do you pray as though you believe that you have the ear of the Almighty God? That even as Moses has said, there is no people on earth like you are who has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. God is near and hears the prayers of his people. Now, as I've described this, you may be wondering in the back of your mind, does this mean that God never says no to prayer? 
Does this mean that God never says no to bread? Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be open to you. It, are there no qualifications? Well, there are, in fact, some. There's uh, at least two. We're going to look at two uh, here this morning. And these things are even implied in what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. And the first is that even in these commands, there is an implication that you would come to God with a particular heart, that you would come to God seeking, as the Lord Jesus Christ has said even earlier in the sermon, in the, in the end of chapter 6, that you would come seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that you, you are devoted to God and not to mammon as the Lord Jesus Christ has said. This is, remember, the implication of that. The implication of you serving God and not mammon means that you must pray. Now, it wouldn't make sense for you to then pray, asking, seeking, and knocking, and then to pray particularly for mammon, that you would pray for the things of this life. This is the implication of serving God. This is the implication of being a person who is devoted to storing up treasure in, in heaven rather than on earth. And so there is an implication here that you, even in the way in which you pray, you are to pray zealously, but you are to pray for things that are good, that are good insofar as God defines it as good, that are good insofar as they promote the kingdom of God and his own glory. Now, this is what James talks about in James chapter 4, as I mentioned. He says, you, you do not have because you do not ask. But then he goes on to say, you ask and do not receive. So here's what God says, no, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then he goes on to then call uh, those whom he's addressing adulterous people. It would be quite adulterous if you were to uh, say that you're devoted to God and then come to God in order to get mammon, in order to pursue idolatry. That would be uh, something like uh, a, a wife coming to her husband and asking for the provisions to, to be able to commit adultery. Uh, that would be, that's what, the, that's what James is speaking of. Uh, so you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. So there is implied, even here, as I mentioned, uh, it, just if you take this passage in its context, there is an implication that you must come to God truly seeking the things which are good as defined in the word. They're good as defined in the word. Now, the second thing, the second qualification that we have to note, and again, this is implied in the, in the text itself, is that God may say no for your good. God may say no uh, for your good. You may misdiagnose what is actually the best thing for you. You are of limited knowledge. And God may, as the one who is the all-knowing, sovereign, and good God, he may withhold something in particular that, that you request from him in order to give you something that is, in fact, even better. And this, in fact, even happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about uh, his prayers in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, immediately before he's going to be uh, betrayed and arrested and ultimately crucified. He prays to God that the cup, the cup of the suffering, the cup of, of wrath, which he was to receive as the one who was going to make atonement for the sins of his people, he prays that that cup would pass because of, of the sheer horror of what it would mean to actually drink from that cup. He says, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup come to pass. Now, he's willing to submit himself to the Lord, and this is the way we are to make our requests as well. Uh, if you are calling me to this, and there is no other way, I submit myself to you. But yet, notice the Lord, uh, the Father, does not, in fact, have the cup pass from the Lord Jesus Christ. He must drink the cup of God's wrath in order to make atonement for the sins of his people. 
And such is sometimes the way it works with us as well. But what we are told in the scriptures is, is that, is that the Lord does not, even as it says in Psalm 84, the Lord does not withhold any good thing from those who fear him. He doesn't withhold any good thing. And so it must be then, brothers and sisters, that if you ask for something and it, it appears that the Lord has said no, that he is in fact giving you something greater, even as he says no to the particular thing that you have requested. And in this way, it in some ways can't even really be considered a no answer. If, if I refuse to give my son something because I plan to give him something even better, then in some ways it's a no, but in some ways it is in fact something better. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is, is promising even here. God does hear your prayers. God hears your prayers. And you do not have, because you do not ask, even when God says no, he does that for your good. But better that you ask always, because the Lord Jesus Christ promises here that God in fact hears you. The implication is, if you come to God in prayer and you make all your petitions and requests known to him, you will never be disappointed. You will never be disappointed. Because God, God is the one who gives and he is the one who will be found and he is the one who opens the door. Now, just to, to drive this home even further, the Lord Jesus Christ gives an argument from the lesser to the greater in verses 9 to 11. And here he makes this comparison with fathers who are in this life sinful. And this is something that I was, a similar point I was making in the introduction, that it's not natural for a child not to come to his father and to, to ask, to request the things that he needs. It's, it's natural to do that. And it's also not natural for a father to withhold the things that his son needs from him. It's not natural to do that. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says, you know, even as sinful fathers do that, so your father who is in heaven, who is so much greater, he also does this. So there's the, the lesser to the greater. If even, if even sinful fathers understand this, then surely your father in heaven understands this as well and gives good things uh, to those who ask him. Now, this is not the first uh, argument from the lesser to the greater that the Lord Jesus Christ uses, particularly in chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, where he's speaking about not worrying. He asks uh, his disciples to consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And the idea there is that, look, God even cares for these, the lesser. Will he not also care for you, the greater? Here, the emphasis is on even fathers tainted by sin understand how to give good gifts to their children. Surely then your heavenly father also knows how to give good gifts to his children as well. Now, here in verses 9 and 10, the Lord Jesus Christ gives two particular examples. The first one is a child who comes to his father and asks for bread. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, you know, there's no father among you who when your child asks you for bread would give him a stone. It simply doesn't make any sense to do that. And also, if your son comes to you and asks for, for a, a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. That would be quite a cruel thing to do. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, listen, I'm talking to you. I can see that you would agree with me with this statement, that surely it is unthinkable that a, that a father would do such to his child. And if a father were to do such to his child, it would be uh, quite a case of child abuse uh, if a father were to give a stone or a serpent to his 
uh, child who is hungry and starving. That would be uh, quite a, a severe form of child abuse. And yet, if this is the case, if this is the case, then it means by implication that you cannot assume that God is doing something similar to you, that when you ask him for things in this life, that when you make your requests and your needs known to him, and you even come across a hard providence, something uh, difficult happens, that you would insinuate that God is giving you a stone rather than bread. God does not do this. Notice what, what the Lord Jesus Christ say, says, and even in the conclusion, in verse 11, he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, if you then being evil, he assumes that every father whom he's speaking to is evil. And th this has implications, of course, with what we would think about uh, the possibility of earning salvation by our works here. The Lord Jesus Christ gives a blanket statement. Everyone is evil that he's speaking to. And therefore, if there is going to be a salvation, it can only be by grace. But the implication here in, in the context is that, listen, all of you, are quite flawed fathers, and yet you know this. And is it not the case that God is the perfect father, that he is the righteous and good God who always, always does what is right and good for his people? If, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good things to his? And if this is the case, then brothers and sisters, then you must pray. You must pray. You must pray because not to do so, not to do so is actually a, a subtle argument against God that he is in fact not a loving and caring God. Again, it is not natural for children not to come to their parents when they are in need. If a child can't come to his parents when he has a need, it shows that the child does not believe that the, that the parent will meet his needs. And brothers and sisters, such is the same for you when you do not pray. It is, a, it is a subtle sign of not believing that God will, in fact, meet all of your needs. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is saying it just, it simply doesn't make sense. God will surely, God will surely give to you good things. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. Now, another implication of this then is that if, if you ask God for something, and in fact there is something difficult that comes your way, then it also means that you cannot say that you must have something different or else God is violating this, this verse. Now what I mean by this is uh, sometimes, sometimes we say, well, God surely wouldn't give me this because I know that this other thing is better. And therefore we say that surely then God is just not working here or he's not answering my prayer, that sort of thing. Now, to, to give a more concrete example of what I'm talking about, uh, there is a, a book written by a feminist biblical scholar named Bread Not Stone. Bread Not Stone is alluding to this verse. That is uh, that God would never give women a stone. He must give them bread. The problem is then she goes on to define what she means by bread versus stones. And so she, you know, goes through what she believes is the, the oppression of women. She believes that women are oppressed in certain ways. And she believes, well, well, since women are oppressed in these ways, certainly God is uh, not giving us 
this, this kind of oppression. He's going to give us bread, and that means a certain uh, kind of equality uh, that a feminist would typically argue for. The problem is, is that what feminism calls oppression is actually a good gift that comes from God. And it's actually better than, it's better than to understand what the scriptures say are in fact good for us and to receive those things as good things. We can't, we can't say that, uh, in, in some sense, hold God hostage and say, I know that I deserve this thing because if I don't receive this thing, then it is receiving a stone from God. God is the one who decides what the bread is and what a stone is. And it is for you to believe that when God gives you something that he says is bread, that it is in fact bread. This is part of what it means to have faith, that you would receive the things that God calls a blessing, a blessing. So an example of this, maybe perhaps even related to feminism, would be uh, children. Children. Uh, Many times people think in this world, it's becoming even more common today, uh, to think that children are in some ways a burden, and you 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 put off having children, you don't want to have a lot of children, whatever. Uh, That sort of thing is becoming very, very common. But the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. And if God gives you a child then this is a blessing to rejoice in. You can't say that God's giving you a stone because he's added a burden to your life. There may be difficulties that come with having children, but God defines what the blessings are. And it will always be better for you if you simply receive the things that God says are good and you receive them as good. It is quite a twisted thing for God's children to say that the great things that God gives to him are in fact stones. Uh, that in and of itself as well shows a lack of faith in God as father. God is the one who knows what's best. Uh, my son does not know as much about what is good for him as I know what's good for him. And when I tell him, when I tell him that something is good for him, it is best for him if he believes me and he receives the things that I give to him uh, as one who is confident that I have, in fact, his best interests at heart. So this is what it means. If God, if if God uh, is, in fact, your father, that he will, in fact, give you good things. And it is for you to believe this and so to pray in light of this truth. And notice, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is saying just in terms of the relationship between uh, our sinful fathers and God. The whole basis of this entire passage, the whole basis of this comparison, is that God, in fact, is your father who is in heaven that God is your father. Everything is rooted in this great reality that when you come to God in prayer, you are coming to your heavenly father. And it is in the nature of fathers to care for, to protect, to provide for, and to love their children. Now, it may be, it may be that you did not have a father like this. Perhaps you did not have a father that cared for you and that you, that you didn't have a father that you could rely on. But even, even if you didn't, you still have a sense of what a good father would be because you know that your father failed you. All of us, all of us have a sense of what it would look like to be a good father or to have a good father. All of us understand that because we can even evaluate if our fathers were in fact good or not good. If, if we could not rely on our fathers, if they did not uh, care for you or protect you, then perhaps it, it does mean that they were, that they were insufficient. But do you understand what it looks like to have a good father because you know it would be the opposite of what you in fact had? And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Such is your heavenly father. He is your father who is in heaven, who cares for you 
and loves you and who will withhold no good thing from you. Remember what the Apostle John has written. See what kind of love the Father has poured out on us that we should be called the children of God. Now, it's important to note as well that even if we think about the way in which we became sons and daughters of God, that all of this is rooted in what has to be the greatest gift of all. There may be some people that you know and you have acquaintances with, and perhaps you wonder whether or not they actually care for you. And perhaps even as you wonder this, they do, they do something so unbelievably good for you that you it, it gets put beyond a shadow of a doubt. This person, in fact, does have my best interest at heart. Well, brothers and sisters, think of, think of this. The reason why you can call God your father is because God gave his only son for you. Because God gave his only son for you. It is, and it's not just a, a giving in a, in a general sense. He gave his son to be killed on your behalf, even as the eternal son of God could feel no pain and could in some ways suffer at none at all. And yet he sent his son to become a man so that he could die for you. And then he died for you in order to, to show, in order to bring you to God such that now, even as the Lord Jesus Christ is, is the son of God, so too you can be called sons of God. If God has so given you this gift, surely he will not hold, withhold from you all lesser gifts. And this is the point that the Apostle Paul makes in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, there, there is a definitive act, a definitive thing that God has done to show that he is in fact your father in such a way that you can never doubt that he will in fact always do what is good for you. And that in, insofar, as he's proven the, insofar as he's proven this, it means that you must pray. It means that you must pray. Why are you to pray? Because if you ask, God will give you what you seek. If, if you seek, God guarantees that you will find. And if you not, God himself will be the one who opens the door to you. Brothers and sisters, remember, you do not have because you do not ask. May it be that God would grant you the grace so to ask. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do plead with you that you would grant to us grace in pursuing you in prayer. Lord, we confess that often our prayer lives are, are pitiful, they are pitifully weak, especially in light of the great truths of the scriptures, the great foundation that has been given to us in prayer, that we can come to you, the Almighty the all-knowing, all-wise, holy and glorious God, the merciful and gracious God who is faithful to all of his promises that we can come to you and know that you hear us. Lord, may it be that that simple truth would pierce our hearts and that it would cause us to pray and that when we pray, that you would answer and that when you answer, you would get glory for yourself, that all the world would see that you are the God who hears the prayers of his people. For Lord, we do ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart, that through the preached word your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.